Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Weight of Fatherhood podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is your host, Brian Phillips. We have another exciting episode on deck for today because I'm joined by Dr. Ashley Hales. Uh, Dr. Hales is an author, speaker, pastor's wife, and a mother of four um, in her spare time. She earned her PhD uh, in English from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. And she has been featured, her writing has been featured in Books and Culture, Christianity Today, by the Gospel Coalition, and among other places. So, Dr. Hales, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Um, do you prefer, do you want me to call you Dr. Hales or, or Ashley? No, you can just call me Ashley. <laughs> my, uh, my rule of thumb is as long as you can say it to my face, it's probably right. fine. Yeah. 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 So, um, all right. Well, on today's podcast, we're going to focus on uh, the book that you wrote, uh, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much. So, uh, Ashley, really appreciate you being here with us. Um, that book was published back in 2018, Correct. Um, but obviously in, in reading it, I could tell this was, this was something that took a good bit of time in the making. Um, it, it struck me as part memoir, part, uh, spiritual biography, I guess you could say, and then part cultural criticism. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, so what inspired you to write Finding Holy in the Suburbs? Well, I think a lot of it had to do with our actual move um, in 2015 back to the suburbs my husband and I grew up in. And we had lived in cities. We'd lived in Edinburgh, Scotland for graduate work. We'd lived in um, LA and Salt Lake City for six years and kind of a residential neighborhood that you could walk to cool restaurants and big city parks. And there was a sense kind of, of adventure with the city. I think also we had, we had kind of swallowed this idea that the best place you can really do good gospel ministry would be in a city, either amongst kind of a cultural elite or amongst um, kind of an inner city impoverished area. And so we were really conflicted a little bit about, can you love Jesus? And what does it look like to love Jesus and to live faithfully as a Christian in suburbia that tends to prize things like safety or busyness instead of yeah. um, other pursuits. And so really it was, it was wrestling with how do our places inform and shape our loves and what do we do with our kingdom calling wherever we live and particularly what might that look like for a suburban Christian or even Christians who can kind of tend to live in uh, upwardly mobile affluent yeah. spots. Yeah. Um, in the very early pages of the book, uh, I think it was in the introduction itself, you wrote, I've measured my distance from home as markers of belonging. Each one, Los Angeles, Edinburgh, Los Angeles, again, San Diego, Salt Lake City, uh, as evidence that we were doing significant things for God. From there, it was a quick jump to seeing our worth lay in our geography. And you went on to say, for a woman who craved the cultural hub of a city, or the idyllic freedom 
of a rural life, I bristled about a move to the suburbs. So what, um, and, and that really kind of captures in, in a mm-hmm. short couple of sentences what you were describing there, but um, what was it about the suburbs uh, in your thinking when you, when you first faced the idea of moving to the suburbs? What, right. what was going through your mind that you thought, no, not there? Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of it, um, it was, you know, particularly challenging too, because we were moving home. And so you add that to like, this is the place I grew up in. And you have those like awkward teenage years and they all come back when you like run into someone you knew from high school. Um, So, I mean, there's that, but I think suburbia really, you know, in Hollywood movies kind of is this trope about like where culture goes to die. And I think I had sort of bought that lie, you know, that, that suburbia is bland and the people are as similar as the tract homes are, um, that they only care about image and success. Um, and those weren't the things that I valued. <laughs> and so I think I was also just honestly worried about, you know, could I find um, friends and camaraderie and people who wanted to plumb the depths of things and, and discuss things that meant something. Um, so I, I think I was a little bit worried about just finding a fit um, in suburbia. So I think really it's helpful to live in a place sometimes that does not fit all of your own idiosyncrasies and ideals, uh, because then I think you can begin to look at it carefully in in a way so that rather than just kind of acquiescing to the ideals of a place, you could begin to think critically about them uh, and then begin to hold up the ideals of the kingdom alongside of the values of your particular place. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that um, in thinking of it that way, you know, I, we live in a pretty small town, there's around Mm -hmm. 15,000 people and our town's not really considered a suburb. We're about 45 minutes from Charlotte, which is a, mm-hmm. a large city. Yeah. Um, but um, we're far enough away to where it's still that kind of small town feel. But um, I still run into people here who have that same, you know, uh, longing to, mm-hmm. you know, they're tired of seeing the same people that they have known since high school or before. Right. And they kind of want to get out. And so there is a sense in which all of us have that kind of, um, rootlessness, I guess now. Yeah. And, mm-hmm, and I'm not really mm-hmm. sure the grass is always greener, you know, right. Else, right. Yeah. And I yeah. think we just, we haven't really thought about the idea of place very well as like a mm-hmm. theological category and realize how do our places actually shape our, our expressions of faith um, at all. And so I think that's, it's helpful for us to say actually place matters in the same way that the incarnation matters that God is enfleshed, he was also in a place. And so I think place needs to be kind of re, reworked in our Christian imagination. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we think about how important land and place were to the, right. to the people of God, right? Just historically. Right. And, and uh, now uh, we're, we are kind of pulled up by the roots. And yeah. as you said, suburbia does have that sort of uh, stereotype generalization, I guess. And mm-hmm. um, I want to call it that for all the times it's not true, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the idea of everything being kind of cookie cutter, everyone valuing the same thing. And so mm-hmm. yeah, I can, it, it's a little scary if you're thinking, well, if you don't fit into a place where everything fits in, then what, right? Right, yeah. Well, throughout the book, you, you address a number of, of common and dangerous patterns of life and habits that a lot of Christians have developed. 
And you were focused particularly on so, some of those patterns that are typified by the suburbs, but mm-hmm. not, not exclusively, of course. Um, and while we can't address all of them because that's, that's the book, right? This right. <laughs> um, I do want to highlight a few in the mm-hmm. hopes that um, these will be really helpful in our conversation, but people will actually go back to the book and see, you know, how, what else they can learn from this. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start where you started um, with consumerism. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by your use of the term consumerism and uh, how does it seem to get its hooks into us as Christians? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we, I'm not trying to say, we you know, when we talk about consumerism as kind of an idol of the suburbs that therefore like we shouldn't consume anything or, you know, we shouldn't purchase anything. And, you know, the, the Christian life is the off grid, off the land um, way to live. Although maybe that's true for some people. Um, but be tougher in Los Angeles, right? <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think what we've, what we've realized um, when I, when we talk about, a consumeristic culture or a place that kind of values consumerism. We're talking about a place that says what you buy is key to your own worth and belonging or your ability to buy, um, especially in affluent spaces. I, I just think particularly of the track home that we live in and all of the neighborhood was, you know, built within the same 10 year span and what you, you don't have like the character of, you know, something that's been around for a hundred years. Sorry. So when you think of consumerism, really, I think what we're talking about is the way that our value and worth and identity is attached to what we buy or what we're able to buy. And so particularly if you think of even just homes in the suburbs, you don't have a lot to differentiate homes, right? Except for the size and the quality. And so I think of when we lived in an old historic neighborhood in Salt Lake city and in that home, it might not be very large that we lived in and yet it had its own character. And so different places all around the city, you could value that for something that wasn't attached to square footage or attached to a price tag. And so I think, what we begin to kind of imbibe unthinkingly in the suburbs is that like I am better or I'm more successful or I'm okay. You know, the nicer, bigger house, for instance, I buy as just one example of how we have tended to tie up our ability to purchase with our identity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course the, the converse of that is true. As well, right? My inability mm-hmm. to purchase those things right. affects my worth and my value, and yeah, um, and we certainly see a lot of that, sadly. Um, mm-hmm. So, how do we how do we start to rid ourselves of those consumerist tendencies? Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I really enjoyed doing in the book is at the end of every chapter, I have just a few kind of practical starting places. I call them kind of counter liturgies that they are a counter story, um, an embodied story that we can practice living out so that we can not simply go, ah, oh, that's an interesting idea, but how do we actually work through it? And so for consumerism, one thing, I think it's important to fast from our purchases or the types of purchases. So maybe even taking a no shopping month might be a way to, to at least begin in the same way that we fast from food. We, we see how we use food to comfort. If you're fasting from extraneous shopping, that might be a way to begin to see how you use shopping to comfort or even to even have conversations with other people. Like if you just play golf, you know, if you choose to not do that, you fast from something and you realize 
I have lost some of my ability to feel like I am peers with these other suburban people, for instance. So I think fasting for a period of time is one great way to start. Um, and then to begin to take those things that you noticed in prayer to God um, as forms of confession, repentance, um, asking the spirit to illumine what's going on. You know, why do I want to swipe up and purchase something? Um, and, and also to feast too, because I think often that it's that combination of fasting and feasting um, is really very important because it's not simply that we deprive ourselves and therefore like make ourselves holy, quote unquote, but that we bring those real base desires to God in that process. And then we also are enjoying the benefits by feasting, you know, but with the things that really matter, not just consistently consuming, but choosing to actually enjoy the best of what God has given to us and to share it with others. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting too, in the, the liturgical calendars, right? Mm-hmm. They give us that pattern of fasting yep. and feasting. There's the, the mountaintops and the valleys. And I've, I've told our congregation many times, I've, I've been a pastor, the same congregation for over 12 years now. And um, I always remind them, and, I, and in doing so, of course, I'm reminding myself, you know, first and foremost, that um, the liturgical calendar is really training us for you know the best of times and the worst of times mm, like um, in particular when you know you you go through fasting but every you know you may go through a, a season of fasting on the church calendar when your life is going pretty well you know and that's sort of a strange experience it, it but it prepares you to deal when right. life is not going well and the same with the mountaintops you may be going through tremendous trial in your life or in your family, but then you're in a season of feasting. You know? Yeah. And it, and it, it does, it really trains our desires and trains our abilities to, mm-hmm. to handle what life brings us. So that's great advice. Um, I think my favorite chapter title was, uh, cir- <laughs> I had fun doing, I had fun with the chapter title. So yeah. thanks. <laughs> yeah, you should, you should, uh, circling the suburbs in my minivan. Yeah. Uh, it's when you addressed busyness, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think, I think we've definitely all been there, but I mean, it's hard to even know where to begin when discussing this topic, because we have mm-hmm. perfected the art of glorifying busyness, right? Right. Mm-hmm. It's an obsession with our, right. but it's, but it's strange. Why, why is busyness an obsession of ours while we simultaneously claim that we won't rest? Mm-hmm. You know, like I just need, I just need some time. I really, I wish mm-hmm. things weren't so busy. And yet mm-hmm. if you're not busy, we sort of, we seem to tie our worth to that, right? Our importance mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So why do you think that that's such an obsession of ours? And then, and then again, you know, as I did with the last one, what, what do we do about it? How do we yeah. rid ourselves of that? Yeah. You know, it's really challenging and it's been interesting with the pandemic, right? Everything shut down. And so all of a sudden we can't, we couldn't be busy. Yeah, um, and yeah. so we had kind of had this wait. forced quiet, right? This forced pause. Um, and now hopefully we'll be able to kind of rebuild thoughtfully. Um, but I think this idea of busyness, what I think you're so right to talk about the kind of that pendulum swing. It's, it's either like we are overly busy and exhausted and then we don't know how to rest well and so we just want to kind of escape our life and so we go from like full throttle achievement oriented identity you know through our busyness and then we just kind of check out right and we 
go on vacation or we check out with Netflix or, you know, eating chocolate cake late at night, you know, whatever it is um, are kind of ways that we kind of self-medicate from that busy lifestyle. But I think the pull of busyness is really, it seems really inseparable, particularly for a North American culture where again, our worth is like we've become human machines. And so we are productive and we use words like saving time um, because everything is kind of monetized and made into a metric to measure. And so we've become valuable to the extent that we're busy. You know, when you ask, my husband always likes to say, you know, if you ask people how they are, there's only two proper responses that won't get you a weird look. It's I'm busy or I'm fine, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, the, and the good life of Jesus is not busy or fine, right? There, there's a sense of stability and presence and contentment and faithfulness um, and beauty and sacrifice, I think, is the kind of life that Jesus offers. And yet most of us are busy because we've equated busyness as therefore I'm worthwhile. And if I actually stop, um, I'm not actually earning my keep. Um, and so we kind of live like functional orphans instead of children of God. When we choose busyness instead of choosing practices like Sabbath, which would be one way in which we could begin to combat some of that busyness. I think, uh, I think you're right. And that, that actually brings us back to the idea of the church calendar too, right? Is valuing mm-hmm. Sabbath. I mean, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about observing it as the, you know, the Pharisees did, of course, but, right. but God wove it into the created order. I mean, he, yeah. he, he yeah. made us and he knew that we would need rest. And so he, he gave us that, you know, it's, um, and I think we, we too easily, forget it. Um, it was also interesting mm-hmm. to me when you were contrasting the way that we use our busyness to determine our worth in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you contrasted that with the life that Jesus offers us. Mm-hmm. It's interesting mm-hmm. to me too, that we so easily forget that, that Jesus also said, you know, come to me, you who are weary, heavy laden, mm-hmm. and I will give you mm-hmm. rest. Right. Rest. Yeah. And in a sense, I think un- unwittingly, you know, not consciously, we reject that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when we buy into the idea that we have to be busy in order to be valuable, we're rejecting the kind of life right. Jesus is offering us. And right. that's a really scary realization, you know, when you, when you think about it in those terms. I also wonder, too, if um, this is sort of a side comment of my own, kind of connecting back to how you were describing at least the stereotypes of the suburbs. I wonder how much of it is we're trying to keep ourselves so busy so that we don't really have to think about the direction and habits of our lives. Uh, I think so. You know, we can avoid introspection if you never slow down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we're afraid of what we'll find, you know. In- I think we are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been right since the garden, right? Where Adam and Eve are covering themselves with fig leaves and, mm-hmm. God's like, where are you? And they're like, I'm mm, not going to say anything. <laughs> we hide behind our busyness. Right. right? right. It's yeah. sort of, I, I think the way that we act sometimes is a bit like um, playing hide and seek when you're four years old, you know, right. you just kind yeah. of sit down and cover your own eyes and think, well, you can't see me if I can't see you, you know? Right. Yeah. And we, we seem to act the same way with God. Yes. Um, it's interesting though, that you bring up that verse too, because that's really kind of one of the main subjects and verses that I'm working on in my next book, actually. So, uh, which is about what does it look like to have a spacious life? And so I think there, yeah, there's a lot of overlap in 
the way in which Jesus offers us something more beautiful and better. Yeah. Well, so when do you have any timelines on that book? Feel, It'll be away, next Ashley. year. Yes, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's likely, well, it's all about, it's called A Spacious Life, Trading Hustle and Hurry for the Goodness of Limits. So it's really uh-huh. talking about how do we live into our limits and how are they good and how does Jesus embrace a life of limits for love. And so, yeah, it'll be out probably next fall, but definitely 2021. All right. All right. And yeah, who well, knows what 2021 will hold yeah, for us. Yeah, I was going to say, at this rate, just save it till next year. Right, right. exactly. We <laughs> done with this calendar year. <laughs> Nothing good is coming out of 2020 so far, but hey, maybe we can, we'll have you back to oh, be fun. talk about that one too. Well, let's discuss one more chapter from Finding Holy in the Suburbs. Um, sure thing. It's difficult to single out just one more, but I, I want to talk about the chapter on hospitality. Mm-hmm. The title to that one was, This Isn't Pinterest Worthy Entertaining. Mm-hmm. Now, this this podcast, as I mentioned to you, is primarily for dads. So I'm yeah. sure that the Pinterest pressure is there for us. Right. But the point you're making in that chapter is still very important for us dads too. And actually, I'm as I mentioned to you before we started recording, your book is one that I think has has slipped through the cracks with a lot of men. And that's one reason why I wanted to do this interview is to sort of bring, yeah, bring some attention is that, um, uh, you know, I don't know if it's just men don't think openly about some of these things as much as, mm-hmm. as much as we ought to, but the challenges you're addressing here are just as much in, in mm-hmm. our, um, in our lives as they are, uh, the lives of women. So, mm-hmm. um, as with much of the book, when I read this chapter on hospitality, I felt this kind of tension. Um, and the tension is basically that I, I love the idea of being hospitable you know, mm-hmm. Love the idea of being hospitable. We want to be mm-hmm. thought of as hospitable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we seem to really miss the mark with it. So, mm-hmm. talk to us about hospitality and the problems that we have with it, and then you know how we can improve there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think most of us, when we talk about hospitality, it's like something you would see on one of those home shows from like HGTV, you know, where the young couples like picking the house and they're like, this will be perfect for entertaining and, you know, all this counter space. Um, and I think we kind of have this idea that hospitality has to look like that, like fancy counters, um, you know, beautiful spread. And that's really entertaining. And I think hospitality is something different. I think it's offering presence to people. Um, and the type of hospitality that Jesus talks about is pretty radical, right? You know, when he uses the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? It's, it's someone who is hurt and broken and bleeding, you know, that you're not really even supposed to associate with and that the Samaritan is the one that offers hospitality. Um, and most of us are probably like the, the Levite, you know, who's passing on the other side of the road because we have too many important things to do our busyness often bars us from being hospitable. But I think what's important as we think about hospitality is to think about it in terms of offering presence to people. And so sometimes that's in your home and sometimes it's not. But I think the more too that we can actually invite people into our real lives, um, into our real homes, they can see the mess, I think is really important. Where we live, there's a lot of like block parties and things that go on. And it's really easy to congregate in those sort of third spaces. But I don't think that's that's an important place for hospitality to start. But it's important, I think, that it moves from kind of these third spaces into a more intimate space of your home. 
And we can also think about hospitality too as being one to receive hospitality. I think sometimes we always like to be the givers and it's also an important spiritual lesson to be the one to receive as well. So there's a lot there, (laughs) Um, but I think, I think what's really important is to sit down. One practical step I have is to kind of map out your calendar. And so to look, maybe you sit down if you're a spouse um, or you know, if people aren't married, it's a roommate, but, you know, talking through your calendar for the month and, and blocking out days ahead of time for intentional hospitality, because hospitality doesn't just happen organically. It really only happens intentionally. So even whatever it might be once a week or twice a month that you're saying, we, we would love to have someone in our home. And then that also then puts you into your front yard instead of your backyard to begin to meet your neighbors so that you're able to invite them into your home. And so it begins to move us from kind of this navel gazing idea of entertaining and a more outward focus about how can I be present and see another person? Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think um, for, for dads tuning in here too, that one important role is, is to encourage that. I, I think in, uh, and again, I'm speaking in big generalizations, but right. the tendency can be that, um, uh, you know, for us to think in terms of perfection. Right. right. And, and I think sometimes um, husbands, fathers can be helpful in saying, no, 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 it doesn't all have to be perfect. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the house looks great. You've done a wonderful job. We've all done a wonderful job. This is good. Yeah. We need to have yeah. the, um, and maybe even starting and having a group of, a group of men get together or whatever, yeah. sitting in the backyard together. And yep. um, so to start where you are with what you can do and, and really just intentionally rid ourselves of the idea that it has to be perfect. Exactly. You know? um, and, and the whole HGTV idea, um, you know, and I, I know a lot of men like the idea of at least getting ideas of things right. to build and improve and so on from there. But we should know that a lot of that is, is unreachable in, in the very fact that, you know, most of those young couples that you see shopping for a house to flip or, you know, a part-time barista and a social activist with a budget right. of 7 million. Yeah. You know, right. <laughs> uh, <you know? laughs> um, but then yeah. when we think about entertaining or hospitality in our homes, we're like, no, 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 we can't do it. It's like, guys, that's not real. That's not, right. that's not right. how it has to happen. Right. Um, yeah. And so, I think with, yeah, with right. hospitality too, is just even just asking yourself, okay, where can I start um, with people who are right in front of me? And that often looks like being hospitable to your family too. And so I think that's also another way to, like, I, I know sometimes when we're having people over, I'm like yelling at my kids, like, you have left all your dirty socks everywhere, you know, and I'm not being hospitable then to my own family, right? Because when I, when I start yelling at my kids, I'm choosing, right, this, what other people think of me is more important than how I treat yeah. my neighbor, my own biological neighbor, right, right who's right. right in front of me too. So even just thinking about starting small with your own family, yeah. prioritizing family dinner, and then how can you even map out your calendar and start small being hospitable in your neighborhood? Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. It's, it's always, uh, very humbling to, you know, to find yourself fussing at your kids while you're trying to prepare for friends to come over, um, or fussing at the kids on the way to church, you know, the, 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 sort of that weird shifting of gears. Which, oh, exactly. What am I doing here? Um, all right. So since, since the book came out a couple of years ago, uh, are there any other lessons 
you've learned about finding holy in the the suburbs. So uh, any parting advice for our listeners, or as you look back over the book, is there something that jumps out that I wish I'd talked more about that, or I would Mm. add this chapter, you know, second time. Mm. You know, I think um, there's a sense in which we don't have to, we don't have to do this perfectly. Like um, I think I was surprised. I remember going into a friend's house and she'd had it all redone. It was beautiful and big and spacious. And I started just feeling this kind of ting of envy. And I thought, Jesus, like I've already worked through that with you. Like what's going on. Um, And just to realize that these sorts of things that we struggle with in suburbia are not necessarily like, Oh, I read the book and you know, got it all figured out, right. That these, this is the long, slow process of sanctification um, to notice kind of those triggers um, whether it's kind of, oh, I'm getting back into busyness again. Um, I'm prioritizing my own self or even my nuclear family instead of the good of the neighborhood or the church or the community God's called me to serve. And to just begin to notice those and just keep bringing them back to God to again and again, repent and know that he forgives you and then move forward. And what does it look like to live hospitably you know, for the shalom of your neighborhood? I think is important because I think sometimes I was like, well, I read a book on it. I should be good to go. (laughs) But even just realizing, okay, this is a pattern um, and it doesn't mean I'm awful, but it does mean, you know, that I I do need forgiveness and it's a trigger to increase my intimacy with Jesus in in noticing how things crop up. Right. That's, that's great. Uh, This wonderful advice. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Um, so thank you. thank you so much for your work there. And, and thank you for joining me today to talk about just, just a few of, of the um, ideas that you cover and how we can do better and, and be more intentional about the things that we value, the things that we love, and then how that affects our families, our neighborhoods, our churches. Mm-hmm. Those very important ideas. So Ashley Hales, thank you so much for joining me today on the Way to Fatherhood podcast. You are so welcome, Brian. Thanks. Well, everyone, thank you for joining me again for this episode of the Weight of Fatherhood podcast. It was great to have Ashley with us on this podcast and and talking about her book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs. And as we leave this episode, I'm sure that a lot of things stood out to you, just like they did me in the course of the conversation, as they did for me as I read the book. Um, But I want to just highlight a couple of things that that I think are particularly necessary for us as fathers to give some thought to as we leave. Uh, First of all, remember... um, the need for rest, the need for Sabbath. We live in a culture and a time and we have habits as, as men, habits as families, where we're always adding more, always doing more. And we, we tend to measure our importance, whether this is subconscious or whether we're fully aware of it or not. We, we measure our importance by how busy we are, by all the things that we have going on. And I think that that's such a dangerous habit to get into and and life can really pass us by because of it. So what can you do to kind of scale down? What can you do to cut out unnecessary things? What can you do to, to instill a sense of rest in your life, in your family life? Um, What can you do to model Sabbath and, and, remember that this is really a matter of obedience. I mean, the Sabbath is something that God created for us. The Sabbath, uh, that, that pattern of work and then rest, work and then rest is something that God has woven into creation itself. And I think that's a really good place to start. And you can weave into that all of these ideas about cutting out some of our consumerist tendencies, taking some, some 
some fasting from um, unnecessary wants and accumulation of things and um, taking time to feast and show hospitality to, to renew ourselves and encourage ourselves and one another. And so um, really look at those patterns of life, those habits of life that, that we find ourselves slipping into probably without even realizing it. So, I mean, remember that it is uh, our calling to, to glorify God, to enjoy him forever, to, to love him with heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so let's give thought to how we can better do that and establish better patterns and habits of lives for ourselves and for our families. I'm your host, Brian Phillips, signing off on this episode of the Weight of Fatherhood podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.